brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. There is a story from our land about the horror. The horror of what was done to us. The horror of what we had to do. The horror of bodies thrown on ditches as crows feasted on our eyes. The horror of locking our perished children into the cottage with us, the cottage we once called home for fear the dogs would eat us as we died. The horror of our bodies piled on top of each other and calling it a peaceful end. The horror of what was done to us. The food stolen, the lives lost, the things we did to survive. In 1849, Ireland was in the depths of despair. The famine had gripped our island and crop after crop was exported away from us so that the fat boys of the empire could still have their parties. We often remember this time as something bad which happened a long time ago. But we forget the names, we forget the stories, we forget that this was us. In December 1849, the Illustrated London News published a story. This story was based on an interview. The interview was with a woman from County Clare called Bridget O'Donnell. Bridget was one of us. She had a family. She had friends. She had a home. She had a voice. 
These are direct quotes from Bridget from that time. I lived on the lands of Garan Nenatua. My husband held four acres and a half of land and three acres of bogland. Our yearly rent was seven pounds four shillings. We were put out last November. He owed some rent. We got 30 stone of oats from Mr. Marcus Keane for seed. My husband gave some writing for it. He was paid for it. He paid 10 shillings for reaping the corn. As soon as it was stacked, one Blake on the farm who was put to watch it took it away to his own haggard and kept it there for a fortnight by Dan Sheedy's orders. They then thrashed it in Frank Lely's barn. I was at this time lying in fever. Dan Sheedy and five or six men came to tumble my house. They wanted me to give possession. I said I would not. I had fever and was within two months of my downlying confinement. They commenced knocking down the house and had half of it knocked down when two neighbours, women, Nell Spelsley and Kate Ho, carried me out. I had the priest and doctor to attend me shortly after. Father Meehan anointed me. I was carried into a cabin and lay there for eight days. When I had the creature, the child, born dead. I lay for three weeks after that. The whole of my family got the fever and one boy, 13 years old, died with want and with hunger while we were lying sick. Dan Sheedy and Blake took the corn into Kilrush and sold it. I don't know what they got for it. I had not a bit for my children to eat when they took it from me. At her last sighting, Bridget was left starving to death with her two children by her side. Bridget was one of us. In Killard, a man called Tom Downs lived in 1845. At the time of his tale, he did not owe any additional rents, nor did he have any taxes to cover. Yet, due to the inconvenience of his existence, he as well as nine neighbours were thrown from their homes during the famine so that those who could pay higher rents could be installed. Tom's home and his neighbours' homes were flattened when new tenants could not be found. Tom, with his neighbours, roamed the land for any form of help. Tom had a life. Tom had a mouth to feed. Tom's death was witnessed by a reporter.
On the evening of Wednesday week, intelligence reached the town of Kilrush that a large number of persons, most of whom were paupers, who had been seeking outdoor relief at Kilrush, were drowned while crossing the ferry on their return to Moyarta. No less than 33 dead bodies were washed ashore on the northern side of the ferry. They were removed to an adjacent field and the coroner, Mr. Frank O'Donnell, arriving soon after from Kilkey, an inquest was held on their wretched remains. It appeared upon the inquiry that no less than 43 or 45 persons, for they could not tell the exact number, were allowed to crowd into a crazy and rotten boat which had been plying on this ferry for the last 40 years. The boat moved on as far as the middle of the ferry when a sea broke over her stern and filled her at once, the wind blowing strong from the southwest at the time. She upset instantly and her miserable living freight were immersed in the merciless waters while four who were eventually saved clung to her until a boat from Captain Cox's men came to their assistance. The verdict of the coroner's jury was as usual in such cases, but in putting gross neglect and attaching censure to the owners of the boat for admitting such a number of persons into so frail a craft. With the exception of four, the victims were all paupers who had frequently come into the town in vain to seek outdoor relief and were returning that sad evening to their wretched hovels in the parishes of Moyarta and Kilbaliowen. Tom was one of us. In 1847, landlord Stephen Devere found he could no longer accommodate his tenants, for he nor they had the money to remain. They all gathered what they had as Stephen led them to Canada. Stephen could afford a cabin but he was not above any man, so he stayed in the belly of the ship with his tenants. Stephen journaled his experience. Before the immigrant has been a week at sea, he is an altered man. How could it be otherwise? Hundreds of poor people, men, women and children of all ages, from the driveling idiot of 90 to the babe just born, huddled together without light, without air, wallowing in filth and breathing a fetid atmosphere. Sick in body, dispirited in heart, the fevered patients lying between the sound in sleeping places so narrow as almost to deny them the power of indulging, by a change of position, the natural restlessness of the disease, by their agonized ravings, disturbing those around them and predisposing them, through the effects of imagination, to imbibe the contagion. I have seen small, incommodious and ill-ventilated steamers arriving at the quay in Toronto, after a 48 hours passage from Montreal freighted with the fetid cargoes of 1,100 
and 1,200 government immigrants of all ages and sexes. The healthy who had just arrived from Europe mixed with the half-recovered convalescents of the hospitals, unable during that time to lie down, almost to sit. In almost every boat were clearly marked cases of actual fever, in some were deaths, the dead and the living huddled together. Sometimes the crowds were stowed in open barges and towed after the steamer, standing like pigs upon the deck of a cork and bristol packet. A poor woman died in the hospital here in consequence of having been trodden down when weak and fainting on one of these barges. I have myself, when accompanying the immigrant agent on his visit to inspect the steamer on her arrival, seen him stagger back like one struck when first meeting the current of fetid infection exhaled from between her decks. These were all our people. In 1845, Roger Cantwell lived. Thankfully for Roger, his family made it through the famine, but their eyes witnessed what had to be done. When the potato famine swept through Ireland in 1846, I was 30 and my wife Mary 33. We lived in a small cabin valued at only five shillings, where I was one of 30 farm labourers on the estate of George Fawcett Esquire and Tumivara Tipperary. At the time we had five children, Bridget aged eight, Thomas seven, Michael four, Julia two, and little Mary one. Because of a generation-long collapse in our living standards, we came to rely mainly on potato farming for our sustenance. A single acre of potatoes could yield up to six tons of food, enough to feed our family for the year. It had been raining a lot, even more than usual for Ireland. In October 1845, almost overnight, a dense blue fog settled over our puddled potato fields. An odour of decay permeated the air. When the wind and rain died away, there was a terrible stillness. The potato crop was ruined, destroyed, we learned later, by the fungus Phytophthora infestans. Over especially the next two years, life was miserable. We were always hungry and lost weight. England gave us some Indian corn and maize, but it was poorly ground and caused abdominal pain and diarrhea. We tried planting potatoes again in 1846, 
but stalks and leaves of the potatoes were blackened, accompanied by a sickening stench, and within only three to four days the whole crop was obliterated. Our family was very fortunate, somehow avoiding the pestilence that many of our neighbours succumbed to. Many of the British took the attitude that the famine was God's punishment towards a sinful people. We Catholics didn't agree with this nonsense. Despite the fact that many of us were starving, our country kept having to export foods to England, oats, bacon, eggs, butter, lard, pork, beef and fresh salmon. In return, Britain did open up soup kitchens for us, but of 2,000 planned, only half were in operation in 1847. That year, Britain passed its extended poor law, shifting the cost of feeding the starving masses and the maintenance of poorhouses to the Irish landowner. This, in effect, made eviction of tenant farmers, like I was, an efficient way for the landowner to lower his tax. Our family survived in temporary shelters until April 19, 1850, when I put Bridget 12, Thomas 10, Patrick 8 and Mary 7 on the boat to Princeton with several relatives. Roger was one of the lucky ones. Roger was one of us. John Connolly lived on the western shore of Ireland with his family. He was caught robbing food from a local merchant. When he was brought to trial, the judge took pity as, and I quote, the Connolly family were in such dire straits that their youngest son had perished due to starvation. In the family's desperation, they were forced to eat the legs of their dead son. A doctor has exhumed the body and found this to have been the case. John Connolly, his family, his son, were our people. In Mayo, in 1849, a man who had been starving was arrested. He was found eating his first meal in days. He had discovered the body of a man who had been shipwrecked in the weeks previous. With nothing to eat, a decision had to be made. He was forced to eat the rotting heart and liver of the dead man. He was one of us, he lived in desperation.
The music for this episode was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. You can find more of my music on Spotify. The stories were researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help to support this podcast, please visit www.wetheirish.com. Ryan Isanam Dum, Gurav Mahakut, Slananish. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.